Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. Welcome to another edition of Pound Time Podcast. I am Brother L. Diazobra, formerly named Lyman White. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome, everyone, to Count Time, to another edition of Count Time. We have a young man visiting with us again today, a dear friend, a teammate. Uh, we go back a long ways. He's been on the show before, and we'll be glad to have him back. We got here the great, the awesome, tight end, LSU, and uh, St. Louis, Louis Cardinals, D, Mr. Greg LaFleur. Thanks again, LD, for having me on the show. You know, it's, it's a pleasure, my friend, uh, my partner. We go back a long ways, over 40 years. Man, you thought we were going to be saying that one day? <laughs> no, no, not 40 years. As a matter of fact, it's almost 45 years. 45? It's, like, it's like 43 years. Man, man, man. Where have time go? Right, right. But, but I let everyone know he's still looking great in great health physically. Uh, spiritually, mentally, you look great. You look wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank, LD. Thank you for coming back today. Because last time we, we had a, a more intellectual discussion, I guess, right? We, we discussed a book by Charles de Graville, something like that, uh, called by, on, on Billy Cannon, A Long, Long Run. And uh, we had a discussion about that book, and it went well. And I appreciate you coming for, uh, for that purpose, because you sent me the book to read, and I de decided that we were going to have a discussion about it. But we didn't get a chance to have a discussion about your time nor my time, LSU, together. So this is what this uh, conversation is going to be about. We're going to have a discussion about your experience at LSU and beyond and our experience together. You got there... You arrived at LSU a year before I got there. Let's tell, tell me how you end up at LSU. Yeah, I, I got to LSU in 1976. As you know, I'm, I grew up in Ville Platte, Louisiana. Well, let, let me send a shout out to my dear friend and mayor of Ville Platte, uh, Mayor Jennifer Vadreen. I can't in, leave you out. Right. She was in school with us at LSU. Yes, she was. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, not, uh, LD, growing up, in the 60s, uh, LSU was not an option. So I never even considered going to LSU because it was not possible. And then my freshman year in high school, LSU had its first black player, Mike Williams and Laura Hinton. But it, it didn't faze me that much because it was just two of them. And, and only one really played, and that was Mike Williams because Laura Hinton, I think, had some injury problems. Yeah. So the only person we saw on TV was Mike Williams. He was an awesome defensive back. Right. So I didn't have any interest in going to LSU. Nor did I. Okay. None, zero. Zero with me too. Uh -huh. Because when I was growing up, and if you saw a black person with an LSU shirt on, you knew that mother worked at some white folks' home, and that was some hand-me-down clothes. So that that's all that LSU meant to me. <laughs> okay. So it just didn't... Because it was not an option. It's not like I didn't like LSU. It was just not an option. My junior year in high school, we were at spring practice. And this white fella came out on the field. And he was standing there watching practice. And my head coach came up to me. And he said, hey, you see that guy standing on the track? I said, yeah. He said, that's the coach from LSU. And he's here to watch you practice. I said, what? What position you played in high school? I was a quarterback in high school. And 
and the coach was Coach McCarthy, the offensive line coach, and he was there watching me practice. I still had no interest in going to LSU. So I go into my senior year in high school, and now it's time to take our visits, you know? And I get to LSU on my official visit. I just took the visit because they offered me to come and take a visit at LSU. I'm not gonna turn down a free trip to Baton Rouge to go watch LSU play Alabama. So I came to the game, and I was just shocked when I walked into that stadium. And at the time, the stadium only held 65,000 people. They didn't have the upper deck. Only 65,000. Yeah, only 65,000 at that time. And I was just in awe of the, of the crowd. And what threw me off, Lyman, coming from Bill Platt, when we walked back into the locker room after the game, everybody kept their jerseys. I'm like, what? Y'all get to keep your jerseys? Because you know they had those tearaway jerseys at that time. Y'all get to keep your jerseys? And so all that stuff was happening around me. I'm like, wow. So then I went home and told folks what I experienced at LSU. And that's when I started to be inter get interested on attending LSU after my official visit. But before my official visit, it was not on my radar at all. Well, you also played basketball. Yes. In high school. And you had another visit from LSU. Well, my first letter that I received, my first college letter I received was from Dale Brown. Great Dale Brown, LSU. Yes. Okay, coach. And I still have that letter today. But I knew I was not a very good basketball player. I, I was tall and can jump and all, but my coach wouldn't let me dribble the ball. And I knew 6'4 wasn't tall enough to try to uh, play college basketball without dribbling. So, I, but Coach Brown kept hounding me, he kept saying, why don't you come to LSU and play basketball? And even after I got to LSU, when I'd run into him on campus, he said, hey, you can still come out for the basketball team because I was not playing very much. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit okay. once we get into it. So when you got to LSU, y'all was considered the largest class of uh, African-American African, uh, players. How many of y'all had? Yeah, we had eight. Okay, who was the eight? It was only four on the team. When we got there, only four to team. And when I got there, it was eight of us: Leroy and Leroy, two, 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 the twins, twins from Baker High School, Wilbur Stansberry from uh, McKinley High School, uh, and Wilbur is deceased, and Leroy right. is deceased. Yes, and uh, Sterling Bazeal. Sterling Bazeal. Okay. from uh, Agar, Agar, Willie Teal from Texarkana, Texas. My roommate, Carlos Carson. You have, have you spoke to Carlos? A year ago. Okay. From time great. to time. We, we try to talk at least once a year. Oh, I have not seen or spoke with Carlos. Yeah. All right. He's so that's, doing very well in Kansas City. He owns a McDonald's in Kansas City. So that's seven. Yeah, that's seven. And then... Uh, that's six, I think. Twin, Tia, Sterling. Wilbur. Wilbur. Carlos Carson. Carlos, that's six. You at seven. That's did, it. did we mention Willie Teal? Yeah. Oh, you know what the, the other one was? His name was Hill. A guy named Hill signed with LSU, but he didn't show up. He went to Yale and played at Yale. His name was Hill. And I'm good friends with his brother, Ernest Hill, who's an author. You sent me a book called Satisfied with Nothing, Nothing by yeah. Ernest Hill. Years ago. Years ago. Well, his brother signed with us, but never showed up and went to Yale. Now, that's interesting. So you sent me a book years later. That was 27 years ago or yeah. longer. I you, said that so you remember that book, Satisfied yes, with Nothing? I, I, that was one of the best books I enjoyed. Well, Ernest Hill wrote that book. Well, his brother Hill went to Yale 
got drafted in the second round with the New York Giants and played about 10 years with the Giants. So he didn't show up. They were from Oak Grove, Louisiana. Right, right. Ernest Hill, I haven't heard that name in many years. Yeah. Ernest wrote a book titled Satisfied with Nothing, and he wrote several other books after that. I don't remember right. the name of it. But that book was very, and I would encourage someone to look, to pick up the book and read it, because it's yeah. a very good book. Uh, it is, it takes you through a journey, and it end, it end, you end up in a place you didn't think you was going to end up in. That's so right. I, I thought it was a very, very good book. <clears throat> so in your class, you had six, seven of you all. Yeah. My class came the next year, had eight of us. The eight going to include me, Marcus Quinn, uh, Willie Turner, who was deceased, Demetri William, my roommate, who was deceased, Danny Swallow, who was deceased, Chris Williams, who else? Uh, I can't remember now. Okay, well, as I know everybody, I, I'm, I'm still missing the three of Tracy Porter. That's right. Who was Tracy's roommate? No, Danny and Tracy was roommate. Lionel Wallace, wide receiver. Right. And there's one other. We're going to think of it. It was, it was eight of us. We had the largest class yeah. of freshmen. So we had seven. We had eight. They, had they, eight. they, they increased it by what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next year, they increased it by what? And they brought a little bit different. <clears throat> they brought linebackers, you know, wide receivers. No, they did wide receiver your year too. Carlos Carson. But Tracy and, and uh, Wallace was the line in was the wide receivers. But also... The year I got there, you was the, you. They had they didn't know what to do with you. Yeah. They had you playing. Uh, well, I was a quarterback in high school, and they were honest with me. They up front when they were recruiting me, they like, you know, we're gonna make a tight end out of you because I was six four and I could run, you know. And they said, well, you know, we'll put you in the weight room, have you get bigger so we can move you to either tight end, you know, wide receiver, then tight end or whatever. So when I got to LSU in '76, and you know that. The freshmen didn't play. Only two guys on our signing class played, John Adams and Willie Teal. They were the only two freshmen that played. So the rest of us, we didn't even, you know, you had to practice every day, and you lost that year of eligibility. But we had freshman games. So I didn't get to play as a freshman. Then I come back my sophomore year, and you hit, you had LSU at that time. Right, I ride, the outclass ride. Right, and you remember this, but you probably wasn't paying attention to me. <laughs> Because you were on defense, and most people that that's not familiar with football don't realize it's almost like two teams. You know, yes. you guys rode a different bus. Your roommates were all defense. It was our meetings were always separated. The only time we came together was when the head coach spoke to the whole team. Other than that, we were never together. Right? Am I right? That's right. So we went to Indiana and played Indiana the first game of the season, and Carlos and I alternated every other play. So neither one of us nailed down the starting position. Your sophomore year. My sophomore year. Then we came back to Baton Rouge for the second game. Rice. Rice. Well, Carlos went into the game first, and they threw him a pass, and he went 80 yards for a touchdown. So the next time we get the ball, they call a running play. And then I have to run out the game. Carlos ran in the game, and they call another pass play. He went 65 yards for a touchdown. So the next time we get the ball... I go in, and they call a running play. Then I run out, Carlos runs in, and they call a pass play. Another. And, and they threw him a pass. It was another touchdown, three consecutive. Now, the next time we got the ball, they didn't put me in. Carlos goes in the game. They called another pass play. 
touchdown. Next time we get the ball, Carlos goes in, they call another pass play, okay. touchdown. So he caught five consecutive touchdown passes in that game. Then the next week we played Florida. They called a pass play early in the game, and he goes for another touchdown. He caught six consecutive touchdown passes. No pass in between. Every pass he caught, his first six passes were touchdowns. Set an NC2A record today, and it still stands. Now, Des Bryant, who played for the Cowboys, had a game where he had seven touchdown passes. But the difference with him and Carlos, Carlos' passes were consecutive touchdowns. Six consecutive touchdown passes. Well, Des Bryant caught seven, but they were not consecutive touchdown passes. Well, I never played another down that year. So I only played three plays <laughs> my sophomore year. <laughs> so, so now, at the end of the season, and I'm like, okay, I didn't play as a freshman, lost that year of eligibility, played three plays my sophomore year, and I knew Carlos was a great wide receiver. He was fast. Yeah, he was the fastest on the team. Yeah. So I, so I went to, in to see Coach Mack about moving to tight end. So Coach Mack moved me to tight end, and once, once spring started, we had a shortage of flanker. So they made me play flanker, That's right. and I played a little bit of tight end. Because you was going with Mike Quintella. That's, oh, you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I had to compete with Mike Quintella, and I knew I wasn't going to play before Mike Quintella, whether I was better than him or not. <laughs> what, what are you insinuating? <laughs> Unless you were a player, you, were, you wouldn't understand. But I was not going to beat Mike Quintella out at, okay. at that position. So I knew it was an uphill battle. And I was a team player. I, I played those different positions because they asked me to so we can finish spring. But, you know, I wanted to be a tight end. Well, we finished that spring. And then we come back the next year. So this is my junior year. So we went through two-a-days, and I played tight end during two-a-days. That Monday before the first game, my phone rang in my room at 6.30 in the morning. I don't think I ever shared that with you. My, my phone rang at 6.30 in the morning, and the secretary said, Coach Mack want to see you. So I walked down and went to Coach Mack's office at 6.30 in the morning, that Monday before the first game, you know. He sat me across his desk. He said, uh, Greg, the reason I called you in this morning, uh, we decided we're going to redshirt you. And I'm a junior. Like, I've already been here two years and hadn't touched the field but for three plays, and now you're telling me I'm not going to even play this year? And something told me, don't lose your composure. This is something just not right about this. You're going to redshirt a junior. I've never heard of that. I still hadn't heard of that today. Unless you hurt, you get redshirted as a junior. So, so something told me not to lose my composure and just take it. And I said to Coach Mack, I said, well, Coach Mack, I'm in good standing academically. I'm on, on pace to graduate. And uh, by you giving me an extra year, it'll make it much easier for me to go ahead on and finish school. I can pace myself a little bit better. And I said, also, I'm a, I'll go, go to the weight room and get bigger, stronger, and faster. And I'm, I'm going to be the best tight end when I leave here. LD, he stared at me, and he jumped up out of his chair. Like, nobody ever responded like that when they got redshirted. Now, he, that was not an endearment comment when he said that. It was like, you shocked the hell out of me. Because in my opinion, now I don't know this for sure, but it seemed like they wanted me to overreact, and they wanted me to quit. They wanted you to quit. And take my scholarship because nothing made sense about me getting redshirted in my junior year. 
So I'm like, okay, well, I better take advantage of this. I'm here, I'm, I'm on course, I'm on pace to graduate on time. Now I got an extra year. So I just start taking 12 hours a semester and just coast my way out of here. So that's the approach I took. And then when that freshman class came and we had two guys from your high, from your high school were in that class, Greg Bowser and Mike Johnson. So in that year, was the first year you could redshirt a freshman. Because see, we lost our freshman year and we only had three years of eligibility to play. But when that class came, they redshirted just about that whole class. And man, they were, ups they were all upset because they knew they were not gonna play, you know, because they were all all-stars coming out of high school. So, because I was redshirted, I'm a junior, I'm with all these freshmen. I remember that now. You remember that? You were doing Oh, that was a, that was a hurting thing. What? You, I remember that. But I had to deal with it, you know. But, but you did. You dealt with it with, with class, though. You really handled that. Yeah, yeah, because the football thing was starting to fade away in my mind, you know, because I'm like, I'm like, I better, you know, handle this school thing. I better make sure I graduate from this place because I can't come here and waste my time because at that time, a lot of Athletes, particularly football players, were not graduating. So I'm like, I better take this school thing serious. So anyway, that freshman class comes in, and they're all complaining about being redshirted because we'd go to practice for about 15 minutes before you guys would come out because we couldn't ride the bus with you guys. We had to walk to the practice field. <laughs> See, you left. Unless you played, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> See, it's making LD laugh because... He knows what I'm talking about because he never had to walk. He always <laughs> took the bus to practice. Well, we had to walk to practice. And I'm a junior and I'm walking with all these freshmen to, to practice. So we get to the practice field and we're waiting for you guys to come to practice because we are the dumbest for you guys. You know, we're the scout team. And we were just sitting there waiting and they were just whining about being redshirted. And I just stood up and I'm like, shut the hell up. <laughs> I'm a junior. I said, I'm a junior, and I'm here with you guys. I said, listen, you guys are so lucky because chances are none of you guys would have played as a freshman, but you didn't lose that year of eligibility. You still have four years you can play. I said, I came here in 76 and didn't play and lost that year of eligibility. I said, now, the best thing you guys can do is take advantage of this year, make sure you get your schoolwork done because you have five years to graduate. And this is a blessing for you. So you guys need to take advantage of this. And one of your, uh, the guy, one of your guys from your hometown, he didn't accept that. Mike Johnson. Yeah, Mike wouldn't accept that. He, he wouldn't accept that at all. And he went to see the coaches and he was upset about being redshirted and he quit. He didn't even stay on the team, lost his scholarship. And all he had to do was just not play that, that year. And he would have had four years of a scholarship after that. So you would have five years of uh, scholarship. So, but anyway, I, I told that freshman class that I'm like, man, listen, don't complain. Just, just, just take advantage of this extra year because we lost that year. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. So now I'm trying to be a tight end. Now, you know, I couldn't be a wide receiver. Carlos caught six consecutive touchdown passes. I'm trying to move to tight end. And that spring, they signed the best tight end in America. From St. Augustine High School. Malcolm Scott. I'm like, oh, now I got to deal with this guy. Now here I am, I never played tight end before. <laughs> and they bring in the best tight end in the country. 
I'm like, oh, man. So now I go into my junior year. Which really is your senior year. Which is, yeah, which is my fourth year, but it's, <laughs> but it's my junior scholarship year. So, but this is my fourth year. And, you know, Malcolm was a good tight end. So Malcolm played. And there was a, a young man from Clinton, Louisiana. Uh, was it Clinton? Yes. Centerville or somewhere, Mississippi. Uh, Robert DeLee. Robert, big Robert DeLee. Another big tight end. Another big tight end. So they played those two tight ends before me. So I was the third tight end. Of a freshman. Of a freshman. I was behind two freshman tight ends. Tight ends. And uh, so I'm like, man, I'll never get to play. So I'd play. I had 80 plays that whole year. Now, you know 80 plays is for one game. I had 80 plays the whole season. Your junior year. My junior year. You only had 80 plays. I only had 80 plays. So what was interesting, about midway through the season, after a game, I walked out of the locker room. Because my parents came to every game, although they didn't see me play, yeah. because I didn't play, but they came yeah, to every game. They came to support you. Yeah. So after, about midway through the season, I walked out of the locker room after one of the games, and my father said, son, I'm going to come pick you up Tuesday and take you to lunch. He said, yeah, son, I'm going to meet me in front of your dormitory Tuesday at 12. Uh, I'll come get you and take you to lunch. So that Tuesday came, and he came around that circle. I got in the car, and he took me to a restaurant called Mike and Tony's. So we get into the restaurant, and, and I'm like, why is my father taking me to lunch? That was just out of nowhere. He drove from Bill Platt, picked me up, took me to the restaurant. He said, son, you, you know why I brought you here? I said, no. He said, well, when you came out of the locker room Saturday night, I noticed your wings were broken. I said, well, dad, I've been here four years, and I'm not playing. He said, son, I understand. He said, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> he said, listen, you saving mama and I about $60,000 because you're on a football scholarship. He said, that, that would have cost us about $60,000 for you to go to college. And, and, and you saving us that money by being on scholarship. Now, there's no other job in America that you can work for two hours a day and get all your school paid for. There's not another job that you could do that. McDonald's, no matter where you go, you're not going to only work just two hours and get all your school paid for. Now, this is what you need to do. You need to go to practice and give it all you got for those two hours. And don't give that coach any reason to say one bad thing about you because he has your future in his hand. So if you give that coach a hard time, anybody that's going to try to hire you in the future is going to call that coach for a reference. And if that coach says you're hard to deal with or you have an attitude or whatever, you never know why you won't get a job. So you just go out there and give it your best for them two hours. You can do two hours. You can give it your best for two hours. And he said, and if you're good enough, they're going to find you. He said, if you want to play in the NFL, they'll find you if you're good enough. So, and that was the conversation. He drove me back to the dormitory, dropped me off, and left. How powerful was that? To even think about that this point in time of your life, that your father, you had a father, a man, to come show up who saw his son hurting, saw his son, saw his son in a bad place, who yes. came to, to uplift you. That's correct. Let you know that. You can, you can do this. Yeah. And you never look back. You, you didn't quit. No. 
So, I, and, 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 you know, you were on defense, so I was on the same field as you, you know, when we be the scout team, the offensive scout team. No, no, that, that was the year before that. But anyway, so, yeah, so I came back, and, at, and I was giving it all I had. And at the end of the year, they fired Coach Mack. Like, wow, you know. So, uh, but, but now, but it's after my junior year, and when they brought in this new coach, I'm like, well, let me hit the books harder because I know I'm not going to play with this new coach. I'm going into my senior year, you know. So they hired this new coach, and we were gone for, for the break. Gone for the break. Yeah, let's talk about that because most people don't know how that happened. But yeah. we was, I was a junior, you, you going into your senior year. Going into we, my senior year. We no, both were going we, into our senior yeah, year, but I had both, four years, right. that was your third right. year. So we both, no, we both was juniors because it's the spring now. It's the spring of our junior year. It, it was the end of the fall. Right. Yeah, exactly. going into the spring. Going into the spring. And they had just hired Coach Bo Ryan. Correct. And probably when we was home for about a, two weeks, and they called all the players, told us that, look, you need to get here on this day, must like been on on Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember. And told us that Coach Bo Ryan, you know, he he wanted to meet his his team. That's correct. And he asked all us to show up, so we showed up that day for a meeting. And you remember remember how that went? Well, check this out. This is what happened in my recollection because I was back and I needed to go register that morning for class, and my alarm clock came on, which was the radio, and the news was on. And the news said, LSU's coach is missing. I'm like, what? The coach is missing? And, you know, we didn't have CNN or anything to turn the TV on to see if I missed something, you know? So I had to wait for a few more minutes for the news to come back on. And they talked about LSU's coach is missing. Then they finally said his plane disappeared in the Atlantic Ocean. The plane left Shreveport, Louisiana. They were recruiting Lifford Hobbler. They left Lifford Hobbler's house. They were on their, They were flying back to uh, Baton Rouge, and something happened in the plane. Either they lost the oxygen or whatever. Right. And the plane just drifted off and went all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, hit the water, and they hadn't found the coach or the plane yeah, even good, today. Because we were supposed to be meeting with him that day. Okay, they, yeah. he, was, he was calling a meeting for, uh, for to meet with his staff, and we was just so happy the meeting never transpired. Right. Because we went down there for a meeting, but he said, you know, he nobody showed up. So we never had a chance to meet Bo Ryan. To even meet Bo Ryan. No. So Paul Dietzel was the athletic director at the time. And he was in a bind because Bo Ryan had hired his whole staff except for one spot. So the athletic director, Paul Dietzel, had to come up with a new coach quick. And what he did was he hired one of his former players who had been an assistant coach for two years while I was there. He had, I don't know how long he had been at LSU before I got there, but he was with me for two years. And then he got out of coaching. The year went, before, the year before the he year got out of coaching. Yeah, he got out of coaching and he started working with the Tiger. It was called the Varsity Club back then. Right. But that's the Tiger Athletic Foundation today. Well, he was with the Varsity Club and I guess uh, Paul Dietzel was just in a bind and he needed to get a coach. Well, you know, they, they say they hired Paul Dietzel to fire Charlie McClendon. Right. That, that was the whole why they brought him back in the first place. Because, yeah. you know, Charlie Mack had too much stroke, he had a lot going on, and they felt nobody could really. Yeah. You know, because Carl Maddox was there when we right. first got there. Right. He was the AD. Right. Uh, then they hired uh, 
Paul Deezer. Paul Deezer. Now, Paul Deezer called me in. Me and Hokey. Oh, come Guys, on. Guys, Yeah, see, I didn't know that. He called, us, he called us in, and he asked us what we thought about Jerry Stovall. Really? And we kind of like, you know, because everybody liked Coach, but we yeah. didn't. We didn't, what you, what, what's the, you know, yeah. we kind of figure out where you're going with it, but we didn't know we wanted him to be our coach because he, yeah, <laughs> still yeah, all yeah. it was, he had these tough rules and regulations. Oh, that he was straight. Yeah. That, that the players didn't quite, you know, Charlie McClendon, we can, you know, we can, we can sneak out every night. Then you can, you know, sneak somebody up every night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But with Stovall, you know, we gonna be on lockdown. Yeah, because we saw how he treated his running backs. You know, oh, yeah. he was so strict on the running backs. Yeah, you know, so, like man, he's driving them guys to, to the ground. You know. So, so we was like, you know, we like coach. He's a good yeah. guy, but I don't know about the about the head coach. Paul Deezer asked Hokey Gajon and I. Well, I didn't know that because he, he, he saw that. us like as being. Team yeah, leaders. Team, right, right. And we, Hoke and I were the two team captains yeah. of our senior year. He was offense, I was defense. And he asked us to help to encourage the other players. Other words, we, to create a campaign. Yeah. Like, that's all rally behind Jerry Stovall for the coach. And that's really what we ended up doing. I don't know if you remember I, that. I had no idea how. But we all we all kind of yeah, you yeah. all started rallying behind yeah because they, they started talking about Jerry Stovall they started interviewing it yeah well, Coach Stovall yeah. be good because after having that meeting with Coach Paul Diesel he encouraged the yeah. Oak and I to help him to you know like right. campaign like get yeah, this yeah. thing going for Jerry Stovall so that's that's what he wanted yeah yeah and, that's and you see how, I was going into my senior year. And nobody talked to me. <laughs> I only had three players my sophomore year. Only eighty players my junior year, and so I was, I was not. You, you, you was out of the loop. I was totally out of the loop, and I wasn't paying attention to what was going on either. I'm like, I just need to go and finish school. Now, now, now where was this? This, this was our, my, our both our junior year, our junior season. You wasn't playing at all right. that year, right? And uh, we was getting ready for the Tangerine Bowl. Yes. <laughs> we got to tell this story. It was getting ready oh, for the man. Tangerine Bowl. <clears throat> Coach Mack. No, it's not the Tangerine Bowl. It was the Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl. The year before that. Liberty yeah. Bowl. The year before. So we're getting ready for the Liberty I was, Bowl. I was red. That was my red shirt year. Yeah, we get ready for the Liberty Bowl. And uh, Coach Mack has given us the itinerary to the, how things going to look like, what it's going to look like. Well, it was the. You know, after practice, we all have to kneel down. Yeah, and to kneel down. And he stands in the circle, in the middle of the circle. And that it was our last practice before we left to go to Memphis for the Liberty Bowl. And he was just making his last little comments. And, and, and he made the comment that we could drive our own cars to Memphis. You know, we all got excited about that. And, and LD, you remember we had our interview about Billy Cannon and the tickets? Mm -hmm. Well, because I was a junior... I was in the ticket business, like Billy Cannon. <laughs> that's, your, that's your hustle. Right? Yeah, it was my hustle. You know, the football thing, I told you, my mindset was totally different because I wasn't playing. So I, I, that's part of your survival skill. Yeah, huh? My survival still kicked in. So because I was red-shirted, I raised my hand up because I, I had a question. So Coach Mack looked at me and he said, okay, LaFleur, what you got? I said, well, Coach, we are red-shirted. Do we need to uh, use a ticket to get in the game? 
or will we dress out and will we have all four of our tickets? Hmm, good question. And he looked around at all the assistant coaches. Coaches, what are we going to do? And everybody understood what was going on with those tickets. So the assistant coaches were like, oh, we're going to let them, let them dress out so they can have all four of their tickets. Okay, y'all going to dress out. And Lafleur, don't you get in my effing way Love in front that. of the whole team. And to this day, we couldn't figure out what that was about. But LD, help me with this. Have you ever heard Coach Mack swear before no, that day? No, no. Have you ever heard Coach Mack swear after that day? Never. Nobody has ever heard Coach Mack swear. And he called me out in front of the whole football team. Don't you get in my effing way, LaFleur. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, we all like, we, we like, what, what did happen? See, we thought you messed with his daughter or something. <laughs> we didn't know what. It didn't make sense, and it still doesn't make sense today why he did me like that in front of the whole team when he never swore against anybody. I mean, that was, that was, that was interesting. That was very – but you also you remember when, uh, when, we, when my first got there, LSU, you first got there, we, 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 we used to – the team used to vote on what movie we would go to, right? Right. So, we, you know, you raise your hand. So this particular game – it was a home game. At the home game, we would, they would take us to a movie first. After the movie, we would come back to the dormitory. You know, they would bring us on a couple of buses. And we was voting on this particular day on Richard Pry had come out with a movie. Must have been Which Way Was Up yeah. or something. And we all decided that, oh, we're going to go to see Richard Pry. So we encouraged the white brothers to vote, yeah, they outnumbered us. Yeah, so, so, so we, we never win nothing. Yeah, because we didn't have enough numbers. Yeah, so yes. wherever we, they, they chose what we had to go see. We didn't right. care what it was. But we knew they liked Richard Pry. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so we did a little campaign. We asked the guys to vote for Richard Pry. So now, Stob I mean, uh, Charlie McClendon asked, everybody raised their hand. Whatever movie he had chose, yeah. going with the win, I don't know what it was. Then he said, Richard Pry. Yeah. So the people chose Richard Pryor won. So he got mad. He said, well, just put your hand down. Y'all can't yeah. make up your mind. I'll choose, the I'll choose a movie. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he chose the movie for us. Yeah. Because he figured we could not make up our mind, which it caught him off guard that the white players voted to see Richard Pryor. Right, right. So we had a tough time. Uh, let, let me bring up this story here, too. <clears throat> I don't know how well you might remember this. We decided we was going to. LSU had never had a black home, queen, a queen, a homecoming I queen. I remember it like it was yesterday. You remember that situation? Do I remember? So I had a brother by the name of a, the twins, Cedric and Marone. It must have been, which one? Cedric. Cedric was the okay. one that did with the little politician, yeah. I believe. Cedric came to me and Quinn. So, you know, we can have, y'all can, can vote for a queen because at that time, tell them how it went, how, to, how, you, how you get the queen. Well, at that time, the student body had to vote. No, no. Well, the players. No, hold on. The okay. student body had to vote and narrow it down to 10. And when they got to 10, the football players had to pick from that 10. Now, you can take it from that. No, I thought it was vice versa. No, no. The students picked the, the 10. 10. Okay. And then we voted for the queen out of that 10. Okay. And so when it came to us, <clears throat> what we decided to do was that the years before, we realized that all the white brothers come campaign for their, their niece, their cousin, their whoever, 
their girlfriend, the sorority sister, brother, yeah. sister, so they would come campaign, and we didn't care who what. That's correct. Because <laughs> it was never one yeah. of us. So at that particular time, we decided, no, the boy, the boy Cedric came to us and said, this is how we can do this. So he gave us the strategy. Yeah. Cedric, uh, Matt Ronick, and Cedric, I can't remember his last name. So Cedric, out of New Orleans, he gave us the uh, concept on how to yeah. do it. So I took the concept, me and Quinn and I took the concept to all the other players, all the other brothers. We say, look, you got enough of, of us here. What we can do, we can ask every player, every player, all the brothers going to vote for all the sisters. It was just one sister. <laughs> no, it was, it was three. Ah, oh, ah, it was three? Ah. It was, no, it was more than three. Okay. That's what I'm saying. It was okay. more than three. Okay. It was, it was several of them there. So what happened is that when it came down to it, we had to pick the top, uh, I forgot, the top five, five or something yeah, like that, yeah. top five. When we got through with the process, we asked all the white brothers, say we was, like, we was uh, exchanging votes. Yeah. You vote for this one, I vote for that one. You yeah. vote for this one, I vote for that one. But we had decided if all the brothers vote for these this, ones, this particular one, one give her the most vote yeah. that they can win. Yeah. So now we ask all the white brothers, okay, I vote for who you want me to. Okay, yeah. no problem, no problem. So when they started calling the names of the winners, it was the first time in LSU history had three sisters and two white girls. No, no, no. See, no, that was no. ten. We had to vote for the top that, ten. Yeah. So we had to vote for the top 10. Right. So when they got through, there was six sisters and four white girls. Now we know that was the first time that ever happened, that a sister was going to have to win. Because yeah. if you, when, you, when you vote that out, some, yeah. you know. The, the, the numbers were the, in our favor, in our favor. For, for African Americans yeah. to win right. the queen. So it's going to be the first time right. that a queen would, a sister would win the queen. So now it goes back to the, the student body and the, the LSU administration decided the numbers ain't gonna work. It, they can't stop the process. So the, the, the administration decided, well, no, I'll tell you what, that's too much confusion going on, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna postpone the vote. Y'all gonna do the vote the following week. So the following week come up, everybody getting ready to vote. The numbers still gonna be the same. Yeah. So the administration said, I'll tell you what, since y'all can't come together, y'all can't work together, we gonna choose the queen. No, LD, that year, they decided not to have a queen. They honored everybody the same. They honored everybody the same. They honored everybody yeah. the same, and they didn't name a queen that year. They didn't name a queen. Because yeah. the numbers would have worked in our favor to have the first black queen, so that year they didn't have a queen. No. That's how it ended up. Okay, then, because it was going to be, it was, but it, it was, it was going to be six, it was going to be six to four. Something about them numbers wouldn't end yeah. up. But we made that happen because we struck, we stuck together, and we organized ourselves, and we put it in a way where they couldn't, nobody yeah, the could numbers, win. The numbers, so were the numbers. So the administration would even. It was the first time the student body had not had not voted for a queen. Exactly. And I think they changed the rule ever since. I don't think the student I body. I don't know, but that year they didn't have a queen. I don't they, think the student body voted since. <laughs> I, I didn't pay much attention to after that, but I remember that year. They didn't have a queen. But, but did, did you remember how we strategized yeah, yeah, through I, that? I, 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 
like it was yesterday. <laughs> so we came together and strategized. So that's a little tidbit for the, for the yeah. audience. I to let you know that we were strategizing back then. Right. And, and it's unfortunate, unfortunate we had to strategize on everything we got. Right. Because no one was just going to give it to you because it was the right thing to do. Right. You know, we had to, they made things, if, if we figured out a way to do something, they changed the rules. Yeah. And it kept happening, kept yeah. happening. And it, it was just unfortunate. Also, Greg and I, because when he moved to tight end, that we had, we had to play against each other at practice every day. Had to go against each other every, one on one every, every day. day. And it was because of that. I mean, he made me better, and I have to, I have to believe I made him better. Yeah, yeah. Because we uh, every day it was it was a, it was a battle every day. He wouldn't quit. I would go quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, that, that was that was a great experience. You know, going against you, playing against you, and and Malcolm. You know, we all became better. But guess what happened? It was because of your dad, that talk he had with you, that conversation when he came pick you up and, and spent that time with you. That next year, uh, when Bo Ryan was, didn't make it and Jerry Stovall came on board, things got a little bit better for you. And it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, again, when Coach Stovall got the job, and I, I had no idea you were part of that process, because I was a senior, I thought maybe I could have been in that process, but they didn't call me. But anyway, my phone rang at 6.30 in the morning. And it's the secretary in the football office, again. They, they like calling you. <laughs> and, and I had a flashback when Coach Mack called me to redshirt me. You know, I'm like, what is this about? So it's 6.30 in the morning. Again. Like again. And I'm at Bruce Hart Hall, got to take that walk to the stadium. And everything was going through my mind, like, what? Am I going to see Coach Stovall? It must be over with that. Yeah, like I. So I get to his office. I sit in that same chair across the desk from him, like when Coach Mack told me I was redshirted. Well, Coach Stovall said, "Look, the reason I brought you in," he said, "because you are the oldest on the team. Because you know I got redshirted." <clears throat> and he said, "I need your help." He said, "Now, when I was working as an assistant coach, I always felt that you could play." But we just couldn't, as a staff, couldn't convince Coach Mack to put you on the field. He said, but I always felt like you had the talent to play. So Jerry Stovall told you that. Told me that. And he said, now, this is what I need from you. He said, I think you're good enough to play at the next level. And we can get you the ball. But I'm going to be harder on you than anybody else on the team. Because we need to set the pace with you. And if the younger players see me get on you as the oldest player, it would help me line them all up. So if you're man enough to handle that, we can go from here. And I'll make sure I do everything I can to help you get to the next level. And going into my senior year, that last year that I played, now I didn't catch a lot of balls because we played that big offense. I only caught 18 passes my senior year, but I led the team in receptions. We're just 18, but I, I caught more passes than anybody on the team. You led the team in reception. I led the team in reception with just 18. And I think Tracy Porter, he, Tracy Porter and I, we were tied with 18 passes apiece that year. And, you know, we, we had a decent year, and uh, we decided not to go to a bowl game mm -hmm. our senior year. Yeah, the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Yeah, yeah, we decided not to go. And so you probably remember this. The Raiders were playing the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. So I'm watching the game. And two weeks after the Super Bowl, my phone rings again. And I was staying in an apartment at the time. And it was like 7 o'clock at night. I answered the phone, and it was Dick Vermeer. 
He's like, hey, this is Dick Vermeil. I'm like, yeah, Dick Vermeil, the head coach of the Eagles. He goes, listen, I heard you can run. I said, well, yeah, coach, I think I can run. He said, well, look, I can't believe somebody your size can run that fast. So I'm going to come down to Baton Rouge and time you myself. And I think he met with you and Hokey when he came. Yeah, he did. Well, he called me to tell me he was coming to time me. So he, I think he worked you guys out first. So when I got there, we went on the track. He made me run the 40. Uh, he made me do those shuttles. Then we went inside the stadium. I had to jump. And then uh, we talked for a while, and he left. And I never heard from him again. And then on draft day, they drafted me in the third round. But Dick Vermeer, how did he hear about me? How did he find me? I have no idea. It's amazing how these things happen that you have so little control over, and you don't know who's watching. You don't know how things transpire. But that's how I ended up with the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's one, one of the things you share with a lot of your young guys, to let them know you have no control over this. No All you, you can do it. is the best you can do at that moment. You can't worry about two plays down the road. Just do the best you can with this play. Go to the huddle, crank it up, do the best thing the next play. But it's the same thing with life. You just do the best you can with what you have in front of you. And if something's good gonna happen, it will happen. But you can't be thinking too far out because all you can do is the best you can do now. Because look at your journey. That's a, you know, and I watched that. And you know, LD, when you, you say you watch my journey, and I would speak to a lot of high schools at their athletic banquets and stuff. And the way I would start my speech is, I had the most unorthodox journey to the NFL. There's nobody can compare that story to mine. Now, mine wasn't devastating or anything, but it was so unorthodox. The chances for me to make it in the NFL was almost slim and none. And the way I got there, I had hardly any control over that. If Bo Ryan hadn't have gotten killed in that plane crash, I wouldn't have played my senior year. Because a new coach don't play seniors that's not playing already. You would have played with Bo Ryan. I wouldn't have played with Bo Ryan. Because you know your experience when a new coach comes in, if you're not bringing it, he's going to play his younger players because he yeah. needs to be in position three years down the road so he won't get fired. So I knew that. And uh, so... You know, that plane crash happened. Jerry Stovall becomes the head coach. He worked me harder than anybody else on the team. Made you better. He made me better. Got the most out of it. Got the most out of it. And, you know, the rest is history. Of course, I, 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 I was a part of that story, and I watched it all unfold. Although I knew, we all knew that you was a great athlete. I mean, watched them move you from spot to spot, place to place. All that was, like, baffling. Why did you know, nobody, nobody can figure out what was going on, but... I guess Stovall told you what was going on uh, in yeah. a lot of ways, but we all saw that, but we couldn't understand them not giving opportunity. You know, then at the same time, people got mad when Stovall put Macduff on JVT, and he was a senior. Yeah, you know, so that you know, people was mad about that. Like, why would he put yeah. Macduff on the JV team? And he's a senior. So, you know, so yeah. that didn't go well for Macduff, Charles Macduff. Yeah, yeah. Charles so he was in your DC. class, right? No, Charles, no. Was, Charles was a red shirt. Oh, okay. He was, so he had to come with you. Uh, he might have done. Maybe, yeah, maybe he, he did come with me. Yeah, he, he, was he, yeah, he was in your class. And, uh, but Charles was, you know, he was a big guy. Yeah, 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 six you five. Know, and, uh, but, you know, he, he, didn't, you know, he didn't bring much, you know, he, yeah. didn't, he wasn't a strong guy, but he was an offensive lineman. 
and it hurt a lot of people that Stovall had put a senior, you know, just like yeah. you as a junior had to go to the uh, JVT. Yeah. And, and I guess I didn't have that journey. I mean, I didn't go through none of that. Matter of fact, you, were, you know my story better than anybody. I probably was treated better than most. I really can say that from the time. Uh, matter of fact, you, stole, you told me a story that you thought uh, my sophomore year, coming into my sophomore year after my loss of my father, I wasn't going back to LSU. And, uh, you know, I was holding out, and you told me that. What you, told, what you thought that happened? Well, we thought, because we didn't see you, you know. Every, uh, everybody had reported back that. We had all fall. reported back, yeah, to school. And, and we knew your father, you know, uh, got killed. And, you know, we all were, we were feeling for you. But when you didn't show back up, we thought you didn't show up because you were strong-arming the coaches, you know, like, okay, y'all better do this unless, oh, I'm not coming back. That was how we were thinking because we're like, why would like, because we didn't look at it as how hurt you were that you lost your father. We didn't know how devastated you were. We just thought that you were giving LSU a hard time, you know, to beg you to come back and play. So that, that's how we thought, we, that's what we thought what was going on. Until you told me recently how how devastated you were and you had no interest on coming back, right? And they convinced you to come back and play. And one of the one of the key people was my uncles. They quite a few of them came. My uncle Bud, just everybody. My, my my both of my grandfathers were still living, so they came to talk to me. Uh, Mike Foster, Dad Murphy Foster, uh, Governor Foster, Dad Murphy Foster. A lot of people. Uh, what's his name is uh, Mike Foster's brother. Uh, well as I do him, can't, can't call his name Foster. He he uh, he came. Uh, Doctor Sterling. I had a lot of people come and encourage me to go back. Out there, got me a job at McDermott where my dad used to work at. Uh-huh. So I was working on the shipyard, making pretty good money. But LSU showed up. You know, Coach LeBlanc showed up. Even McClendon, they called me. You know, because I didn't come back to camp, so they didn't. Yeah. They could not believe it. And when they came back, of course, they came back with a lot of promises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was more encouraging <laughs> that they was able to uh, assist, yeah, you yeah. know, with the situation. But with my coming back, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. So I never looked back. And I didn't, LSU treated me well. Matter of fact, I went from four tickets to eight tickets. <laughs> Mama, I, they took yeah. pretty good care of me. They, yeah, they, yeah I, didn't, I didn't even know that. Oh, they, I didn't they, know they, you got eight tickets. They, they took care of me. They yeah. took really good care of me. They, they made sure I had. But I still found myself, I was one of them guys. I wanted to, I wanted to, see, wanted to see the right thing. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't like how people treated others. Yeah. So I found myself fighting LSU for other purposes, for other reasons. Yeah. You know, I didn't like it. They didn't treat my roommate, Demetri, right. I'm, right. I'm fighting for Demetri. You know, so I that's, remember that. Yeah. So that's the kind of, I don't know why I found myself in fights over, not because how LSU treated me, but how I watched them treat others. Right. So I, that's kind of, it didn't get me in trouble, but I found myself, you know, as a, what you call that? Like, like my boy George Eames said, a, ju- a warrior for justice. I yeah, just wanted yeah. to see them do the right thing. And I guess that's what count time is. <laughs> <laughs> I want the people to stand up and be counted. You yeah, know, well, I enjoy them. your show. I listen to every one of them. Everyone. So everyone. Man, I, you know, I don't that. listen to it as soon as they come on, but the good thing about the podcast, you can play it whenever you want to listen to it. Time. So when I'm in the car and have about 20, 30, 40 minutes, or sometimes even an hour, 
uh, I wait till I have that much time. I put it on and I just listen to the whole thing at one time. Give me your best, your, what was your favorite podcast to this point in time? Well, Lynn LeBlanc, Coach LeBlanc, that one got me the most excited, excited. Because and, and it, was, it was my first inter, first one I had when I interviewed somebody, a oh, conversation. See, I, that yeah. was my first one. And I was so intrigued with that one because it, it was football, it was life, it was integration, it was everything. Because Coach LeBlanc said he was known as the black recruiter. You know, so and we never heard that before. I'd never heard that before. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had mixed feelings for Coach LeBlanc. I didn't know how he felt about me because he didn't speak to anybody. Matter of fact, when he was on your show, that's the most I've ever heard him speak. Because the whole time he worked at LSU, he never said a word to me. He would just grumble. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm like, this guy doesn't even speak to anybody, you know. And, and, he, and he was a good-looking guy. You know, he's a, you know, yeah. a good-looking man. Yeah. He's a classic Tall, guy. dark, yeah. handsome, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I was so impressed with, with your interview with him. And, and it's because it was such a good football story and a life story. I'm like, man, that was interesting. So that was number one. But when you had an interview with Mr. Charlie Granger, man, that took it to another level too because I had no idea how Mr. Granger got to Baton Rouge. And I didn't know all the trials and tribulations he went through to get here. And, and so after I heard the show with Mr. Granger, I called you to get his phone number, to call him, to let him know how much I enjoyed his show, the show that he was on. And because when I was athletic director at Southern, and then whenever we had a booster club meeting, Mr. Granger was, he, he never missed a booster club meeting, but he would always sit in the last seat in the back, in the corner. And I would always make my little presentation, the coaches would talk or whatever, and he would not say a word, he would, but he was there every meeting. And after I heard your interview, I had to call him and say, Mr. Granger, I wish I would have known that story because I would have had you tell that story every time we went to a different booster club I would have had you present that story because everybody at Southern needed to hear your journey. Because he said some stuff that nobody even thought about back then with Coach Mumford and, and how he started playing football because he threw the discus back to somebody. <laughs> he, had to, he had to set all that up. Yeah. Yeah. So he, had to, he had to create his own opportunity. Yeah. So so the, the, the two coaches, you enjoyed the football stories, did right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's good. We'll be glad to, that you tune in and that you found a purpose to, uh, to listen to our podcast. And, and as a dear friend and a confidant, they've been knowing each other for 45, you say, almost, almost 45, 45 years. years. Oh, you, I wouldn't add that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got there over 40 years. I, mean, I got there in 77, you got there in 76. Man, that time have gone. There and you end up getting we end up getting drafted the exact same year. So so your senior year ended up being my senior year, although you, you was there a year ahead of me. I was the fifty Chris Williams was the first player to get drafted from LSU. He went in, in that my, class, yeah. yeah Chris he went was the by first. 30, 37, 38 player to okay. pick in the draft. Maybe a little bit higher than that. I was like fifty-four or fifty-six in the second round. So I was part of the linebacker crew. So you right. remember that's the that's that's the time. The greatest linebacker crew in NFL history. Oh man, they had some. They had some yeah, it's still so, today, I mean, that's still, still the day. biggest, I'm, the best linebacker yeah. crew, if not the best draft. A lot of people think that's the best draft ever. I don't know if you've been hearing that. No, I know it was the it was the, it was the year of the linebackers. 
And from I think quite a few of them guys are Hall of Fame from Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor, Mike Singletary, Ricky Jackson, Ricky Jackson, Hugh Green, EJ Jr. It's, just a, it's a long Hugh Green, yeah. So matter of fact, I was drafted two rounds before. No, Rick was drafted, then Mike Singletary, then me. We was all like right, yeah. right, right, right close to each other. So I felt honored because remember, I was hurt and I got hurt the year in the Alabama year. game. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't know what was going to happen with my situation, but my my coach uh, Bishop Harris and Coach Stovall, they I was supposed to play in the Japan Japan in the Japan Bowl and uh, Senior Bowl Senior Bowl. So I had to forego both, and I told him, I said, "Well, Coach, I'm I'm gonna go to the Japan Bowl." And Coach Stovall, you know, as honorary as he is, he want to keep things upright. Well, if you're not gonna play it on these going, I'm thinking, well. I can still go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy myself. They said, well, no, you ain't going to play. Don't go. Let somebody else go to your spot. Yeah. I want to go, but I ended up not going, yeah. and I missed that opportunity. <clears throat> uh, but uh, but I, 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 didn't get, I didn't work out for anybody because Coach Stovall and my position coach, Bishop Harris, told me, no, that, that knee is not strong. Don't you work out. Yeah. But I was invited to some combines, so I got a chance to meet a lot of the players. That, but back then – we went to combines every week. Yeah, you and I. Yeah. You and I, we went to New York together. We went to Chicago together. Who, who's that guy in New York we hung out with? I still can't remember the guy. He brought us to his, his, his family house. Maybe we ate grits yeah. and hall crackling for breakfast yeah, that yeah. morning. You, you don't remember I can't, I can't remember, but I, I remember you and I going, that was my first time ever going to New York, and you and I were together. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, but he, it was, that was Philadelphia. We was in you Philadelphia. Mean? Uh, we, we flew into New York, yeah. but it was, we, we went to Philly. Okay. Because I remember it was cold. It was, yeah, it, it was cold. cold. It was cold. That was really cold. But I went to uh, Dallas was my first one. See, I didn't go to Dallas. That's where they had everybody yeah. at that one. So that was the best one, the best one. But we went to quite a few combines. It was it was just a great experience, a great opportunity for two country boys to get yeah. out and be able to see the part, other part of the world. And for the listening audience, we talking about combine, but back then, each team did its own thing. So years later, all the teams got together, and now they have a combine in one central place where all the teams come. Because we were doing that same thing you see on TV now. We were doing that every week. <laughs> <laughs> week after week exactly. after week. It, so. it, it got monotonous, but... It was a free trip. That's right. That's they, how they, we looked at yeah, it. Yeah, it they took good care of you. Yeah. You got a chance to meet a lot of the, the players right. uh, who was going to be getting drafted. So you got you had to build a relationship with a lot right. of different guys. Matter of fact, to this day, I still talk to your teammate, uh, EJ. Yeah. EJ Jr. We still talk. And uh, Hugh Green and I, was, and Ricky Jackson, we all are okay. still pretty yeah. close. And uh, So, you know, because of that, that traveling, get a chance to you know, meet a lot of guys, right. that was a good, a good opportunity. Let me see what other stories we got from the LSU LSU days uh, because we, we the year we got drafted it was quite a few of us probably one of the LSU best draft ever huh probably well maybe later on they made a hat hat but it went a no, long I'm talking stretch. About, I'm talking before before that it was one of the best oh, drafts. before that that was the best draft yeah, for LSU yeah, yeah. because we had nobody went the first round we thought Chris Williams was gonna go yeah but Chris went early second so we had Chris and me. Then Tracy Porter, didn't you? No, Chris was the first and the second. You were the second and the second. I went in the third. 
Tracy mm-hmm. went in the fourth. Oh, Tracy went in fourth. Okay. Yeah. Hokey went in the fifth. Uh, uh, it was it was quite a few. Who else? Yeah. Was but a lot of guys get get up get got an opportunity. Right. I then the Jones in. twins they got they signed one sign with the Jets. Some twin signs. Uh, Wallace. Lionel Wallace signed. Lionel Wallace signed with um, the Eagles. He was with me in Philly. Let's see, Quinn's, I mean, I did say Quinn. Marcus Quinn signed. It, it was quite a few. It was, I think, Jude yeah. Hernandez yeah. signed. No, Hokey went fifth. Yeah, Hokey went in the fifth round. Now, now you remember what, you remember that, that at that time it was interesting too. <clears throat> Hokey was like, Hokey was the last one to get drafted. But on the news that night, he was the only one they went interviewed. And that was interesting to me. Yeah, and I yeah. remember that. You know, the news, the TV didn't interview any, didn't interview Chris Williams, who was the yeah. first one to go, didn't interview me. They, they went out and interviewed uh, Hokey. Yeah. And that was always interesting how that process Maybe because he was from Baton Rouge. <laughs> 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 well, that's why you, you look at the bright side. Yeah, he was that, from Baton Rouge. But it was always interesting. Well, how, Baker, same thing. Baker, right. How that at LSU though it was all things always did work out that way. Although we we did for, for real LSU. Although it was not on my radar at all. I was my whole focus was my, my best friend, my cousin Ray Johnson was playing at Nickel State. That's all I knew. I was heading to Nickel State. LSU was nowhere on my radar. Uh, it, it was not a big at that time. It was not on TV that regular. Right. So you know who was LSU. So but I'm thankful that I had. They opened the doors, gave me opportunity, and we made the best of it. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, what, 44, 45 years later, we were able to sit here and have a conversation about it. Right, right. Our journey. And it, it, <laughs> it was a heck of a one, too. And yeah. you got to remember, this young man and I, we butthead every day our last two years of practice. It's hard to believe Every day, that. one-on-one. Every day. They don't even allow that drill anymore, I don't believe <laughs> <laughs> they don't allow them. They don't allow that drill. They don't let you hit and pass that much now, and I don't think they let you go one on one like that anymore. Look, I remember when when we when uh, when, when Malcolm Scott got here. I mean, uh, you kind of you know you let Malcolm with first because you already you know you and I had already been going yeah, against yeah. each other, and uh, Malcolm was always you know he stood up high. Yeah, you know, he yeah. didn't know how to get low. <laughs> <laughs> So Malcolm couldn't block me to save his life, so that, that gave you an advantage because yeah. you, you, you was able to block me, but Malcolm couldn't block Sometimes me. Sometimes I was able to block no, but you, but I couldn't hook you, though. Oh, you <laughs> Coach LeBlanc told me not to get hooked. So that I was couldn't hook you, though. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was always pretty interesting, but you, had a, you, you was drafted by Philadelphia yeah, right. in the third round. Yeah. I was drafted by Atlanta second round. But you played at Philadelphia only what? Just that count. Okay. And and again, things happen beyond our control. We had three times, the, the Philadelphia Eagles had just gone to the Super Bowl, and they brought me in, and I was the third tight end. So we went through training camp. Now it's a week before the first game. Dick Vermeer calls me into his office again. Man, I have these visits with these coaches. It's the only time I go see a head coach. <laughs> everybody, everybody loves you. That's yeah, I guess. Was. So I go see Dick Vermeer. And he said, Greg, I'm so sorry. He said, listen, we're having some problems with our offensive line. And if I put the lineman on injured reserve, he has to sit out four games. But he's not hurt bad enough for me to put him on injured reserve. So I have to keep him on the roster, which means I can't 
have three tight ends. And he said, we just went to the Super Bowl, and I don't want to have a veteran tight end and a rookie tight end on this team because we too good to have that big a drop-off if the starting tight end gets hurt. You know, we, are, we have a chance to get back to the Super Bowl, and I don't trust a rookie to start on this team right now. So we're going to put you on waivers, but I don't want you to leave Philadelphia because as soon as that offensive lineman gets well in two weeks, we're going to adjust our roster again, and we're going to bring you back. So stay in Philadelphia. Well, as soon as they release me, and you know how that works, they put me on waivers, and the, the minute they put me on waivers, the St. Louis Cardinals picked me up. So the time I left his office, I get a call from St. Louis that I need to go to St. Louis. So I had to fly to St. Louis that night or the next morning. And I played in that first game of the season. And I made all-rookie that year. You made all-rookie? I made all-rookie with all those tight ends that they drafted. Willie Scott, and the guy from Tulane. And I made all-rookie that year. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, I made all-rookie that year. Now, Got my bonus money and everything. Was that the same year that, we, that you came to Atlanta? That's the same year we came to Atlanta. I had to play against you. No, that was that was pretty interesting, though, right? <laughs> yeah. That was hard. I, I mean, that, you know, that was hard, man, because you were we were right across each other. Matter of fact, I went visit you the night before yeah, the game. Yeah, you came by the house. We yeah. hung out together. And the next day, I had to play against you, and you know, we both fighting to you know make the team. Make, yeah, to stay on the team, yeah. you know. And 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 I had to try to give it all I had, and I had to train my mind like, okay, forget that's lineman. And just try to go after him, you know. But it was hard. It was very difficult for me to do that. Because, you know, I knew what play was coming. You didn't know. And I had to do my best to get you out of the way, you know, to block. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it was very difficult for me to do that. That was tough. Because somebody had to look bad. Either I was going to look bad or you were going to look bad. <laughs> somebody had to win. <laughs> but, so I had to train my mind to not think that was you. And so I would try not to look at you. You know, when I break the huddle. I kept my, my eyes on the ground because I didn't want to look at you, you know. But but that was that was tough. Well, for me. I, I thought you were doing it to just just to throw me off. No, <laughs> I, was, so you, you saw want, me looking at the ground. Yeah, because you, you, you didn't want to want me to read you. you no, no, I just didn't want to look at you in the eyes because mm-hmm. you know because I, I had to come at you full speed, you know. Yeah, because we just we just got through hanging out that the night before. The night had, before, had joking at clouds. And I know a lot of guys that played with each other in college play against each other in the pros. But nobody goes against each other head to head like we I did. Mean, we we had to line up head, head to, to head, head the whole game. Yeah, and we both want to make the. No, we was on the we team. Were already we were on the, the team. team. This was a regular season so, game. This the second game of the season, wasn't it? Second I can't game? remember what game it was, but it was a regular season game, and we had to bring it. And you guys beat us. We did. Yeah, y'all beat us. <laughs> so I don't know. Was that the? It was early in the season. Yeah. It was very, very yeah. Now, who's the running back? Who's the running O.J. Back? Anderson. O.J. Anderson. And y'all that's had right. William Andrews, I believe. William Andrews, that's what it is. Yeah, y'all were bringing it, man. Andrews, was, he was killing it. Oh, he way. was strong. He was, he was a big, strong guy. Yeah. Man, it just, it just to bring back all the memories, like, no, okay. But, of course, our history is really, you know, we, we, we've been connected for a long time. We still together. We, we fought for each other, with each other. And to this day, we still do. You know, if there's a need or something going on, I can call you, you can call me. We started organizations together. We, we, we did, we'd have done a, a whole lot together. And, right, uh, right. But to have this relationship and also, more importantly, be able to sit here and, and talk about this. You know, this is, this is pretty doggone good. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I hope people enjoy it as much as I enjoy being here. <laughs> so, man, <laughs> I just appreciate uh, Greg uh, being here, sharing this moment, this time uh, with, uh, with me. It, it truly, it truly means a lot. I mean, that, that, that's for real, for real. You are the first friend that, you know, Mr. Granger, you know, those, that's, these, these, are, these older, all of them, uh, that people I, I, I love and have a level of respect for. But you and I, you know, we got a whole lot of history. We ain't going to even yeah. talk about it in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> we, we had to come to work together, overcome, or let me know. I had to let you know. You know, yeah. so we had, we had a whole lot we had to work through and work around. So just don't know what to say, but thank you for showing up once again and uh, participating and sharing your, your story, your history, and, uh, and being honest about the things that happened back back then. And uh, trusting that when you, you say you showed up today and there was some, some strange things been happening in the last 24 hours. So I, mean, I don't know what this is all about. You want to share before you go? What, what it, it, yeah, it was interesting. Yesterday, uh, I had to take a ride to Opelousas, which is 20 minutes. And I saw you had a sh your show was about Edwin Edwards and it had 22 minutes. So I said, well, that's a good time for me to listen to your show about Edwin Edwards, the former governor. And so I was listening to the show, and you started. You mentioned my father in your present in your uh, in your presentation. And as you mentioned my father's name, my phone rang, my cell phone rang in the car. But for a second, I thought maybe that was a phone ringing on the on the show, because it just I'm like. And I saw it was Dale Brown. I'm like Dale Brown. And when I answered the phone, Dale Brown started telling me how much he enjoyed a magazine you wrote. And he said, and you wrote, a mag you wrote an article about Greg LaFleur, and you have this beautiful picture of Greg LaFleur on this, on this magazine. And, and he said, uh, uh, so as he kept talking, I'm like, I don't think he's talking. I don't think he realized he's not talking to me. I mean, that he's talking to me. I said, Coach, this is Greg LaFleur. Oh, he said, I thought I was calling Lionel White. <laughs> And he said, look, I was just on, on, on he called you Lyman, LD, he called you Lyman. He said, I was just on Lyman's uh, show this week, and he, he brought me in. We spent about two and a half hours together, and he said, I really enjoyed him. He said, he's very, uh, very intelligent. He said, I had no idea he was so intelligent, and, and uh, the way he asked the questions, he made it very easy for me. He never interrupted me when I was talking. And I said, Coach, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I said, I'm headed to Baton Rouge tomorrow to be on this show. And so we just started talking, and we talked a good 30 minutes on the phone, but I thought it was so weird how that happened, you know, like for Coach Brown to just call me out of the blue, but he was not trying to call me, he was trying to call you. It just so happened, he's thinking about me, but he, but he was looking at your name. That's yeah, so I guess that's how he accidentally yeah. called me. That, that was pretty interesting. Though, and so right? he said, look, so if you come into Baton Rouge tomorrow, he said, I'm speaking at the uh, Sports Academy. Come meet me at the Sports Academy tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I said, I'll be there. I'll meet you at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, I was supposed to be there. How did it go? Oh, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> How yeah. did it go? Yeah. Oh, it was good. You know, they had all the kids in there, and he came in, and a lot of the former players were there. Uh, Basketball players? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the former players were there. College Temple with his two sons, and uh, Rudy Mack, uh, uh, Stanley Roberts. Uh, Howard Carter, Nikita Wilson. Yeah, most of the guys that played for him, they were there. 
they, they, they coming out. He he stay in touch with his players. Yeah, he does a wonderful job. I mean, they were in football. We don't we didn't get many calls after. No, I didn't get any calls. Well, I didn't get no. <laughs> I can't say. I, I got to say this about uh, Charlie McClendon. Every time he came to town, because Willie told me he done, Willie Till told me saying he was stopped by my restaurant. So he did while he was still around, still alive. He would stop by and just holler at me and keep on moving. Well, one last thing uh, about Coach McClendon, and see, you can attest to what I'm about to say, because Willie Teal with the Vikings, when they would go down to Tampa, Coach Mack would always call any LSU player that would go to Tampa, because he was living in Tampa. So when the Vikings played in, in Tampa, he called Willie. Chris Williams went to Tampa, he called Chris Williams. So every player I talked to, Charles Alexander, when they would go down to Tampa, he would call Charles. So we played Tampa. So I'm waiting for my call. I never got a call from Coach Mack when I got to Tampa. He, he, must, he, didn't, have, he, he didn't have your number, he had the wrong number or something. <laughs> I don't know. Again, we still trying to figure out why he called me out at that team meeting. So I guess that had something to do with it, but he never called me, and we we played Tampa almost every year I was in the league, and I never got a call. From never Coach heard Mack. from Coach. Never Mack. heard from Coach Mack. I got to say he did with him and a with that Peavy, him and Coach yeah. Peavy, Peavy. Yeah, Peavy. Yeah, Peavy. They would stop by the restaurant right. just for a brief second, but he'd come holler at you and they'd go about their business. Yeah, I would still like to know why I was on Coach Mack's bad list or whatever, because I didn't break any rules. My grades were always good. So you, you, didn't date, I, you didn't date his daughter? No, I didn't date his daughter. So, so we nah. clear, clear, the, clear the, the slate now. We, nah. didn't, we didn't know what to think now. So we, we. Y'all had the right to assume something like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was hard on you. Boy. And you know, you know, a lot of times players come up with excuses like, oh, the coach didn't like me, the coach didn't. Mine was not an excuse because the whole team saw what was going on with me. You know, it's not like I'm just making these stories but, up. But I mean, but when Coach Stovall told you, that yeah. was, that was pretty serious. Yeah. He like, said, we couldn't convince Coach Mack to put you on the field. But Coach Stovall saw that you was yeah. well able and capable of playing. Right. On the next level. Well, and I'm glad to say, too, I was your team captain. <laughs> <laughs> so as your captain, I would say, well, uh, thank you for showing up. Thank you for participating. Thank you for the many years of uh, our camaraderie, our our relationship, and all that comes with that. And I appreciate you. Thank you for showing up and participating in count time. But remember, it's 4 p.m. Stand up, it's count time. Thank you, my brother, for showing up and participating. Well, thank you, LD, and I will be listening to the rest of the shows from here on out. All right. You're going to be on several of them from here on out. Thank you, Greg. And always remember this here. Man can shocker the hand. Man can shocker the feet. But only you can shocker the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in once again to Count Time Podcast. I'm Brother L. Diazobra. Thank you once again. Remember, it's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted.